This is a messianic study of the book of Romans. It's given in a midrashic setting, which is audience participation. It was given during the months of June through August 2008. The discussion leader is John Behrens. He's pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship. You can reach our website at www.crimsonthread.com. There you can find this study in its entirety as well as other resources for your messianic study of the scriptures. This discussion has been edited and a number of the comments have been either truncated or removed for clarity and continuity. All right, so we are coming up on the second chapter of Romans, and since we've got uh, some, some folks that haven't been here before, I'm, I'm going to do a very, very fast flyover. I don't believe that Romans or Paul is rolling a new religion. I believe that this is all a conversation within Judaism. And within Judaism, you've got several strains. You've got the normal Jews who follow the Torah and follow the word of the rabbis and do not believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. You've also got Jews who are born of the seed of Abraham, circumcised on the eighth day, and have come to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, that Paul is a, such a Jew. And then you've got Gentiles who, and actually I, I missed one category of Gentiles last time when I was talking about it. There are actually two categories of Gentiles. Category one are Gentiles who are what we would call born again or saved, who have the Holy Spirit and are in the synagogue for purposes of learning about this God whom they now worship, because the synagogue is the place where all the books are. Uh, you also have Gentiles which are called God-fearers, who have come to the synagogue and are there again for the purpose of learning about God from the Jewish scriptures, but they are not necessarily what we would call Christians or followers of the way. Uh, the Roman synagogue will contain a mix in some proportion of all of these folks. So Paul is writing a letter into that mix and he is writing it from the perspective of one Jew having a conversation with some other Jews. Okay, so the audience here is both Jews and Gentiles within the, within the synagogue. Um, we talked uh, briefly about the uh, Roman Empire and the fact that the emperor was officially known as the son of God. That was one of his titles because the Senate would deify his father when he died. So when Yeshua comes in and claims to be the son of God, he is going straight at the imperial cult. Jews are the only religion that I know of in Rome that has an exemption from worshiping Caesar. Everyone who is not a Jew must at some interval, and it, it strikes me as once a year, but I just don't remember that right off the top of my head. At some interval, everyone who is not a Jew has to show up at some temple and offer a token offering to Caesar, usually a pinch of incense. And this is regarded as a loyalty test. So if you are not a Jew and you don't do that, you are looked upon by the Roman authorities as a potential traitor and troublemaker. Hence the tension in Romans. Because you have in Romans a mixed synagogue. 
those who are born of Abraham, whether they are followers of the way or not, are exempt from sacrificing to Caesar. Those who are not born of Abraham are not exempt. And the Roman authorities will look at them and say, well, we're delighted you have the Holy Spirit and all that kind of stuff, but you didn't sacrifice to Caesar, therefore the secret police are going to be after you. One of the things that I didn't mention last time is the Jews are very careful in that regime of not harboring people that would be regarded as traitors. So if you have a Gentile that comes into that setting and, you know, Waltz is in there and I'm full of the Holy Spirit and let me tell you about Jesus and, and all these kinds of things, and he waltzes into a synagogue, the synagogue is going to look at him and say, uh, you want to be one of us? Okay, we have a procedure to turn you into a Jew. Okay? And if you don't become a Jew according to our definition of what one is, then you're on your own as far as your relationship is with the, to the imperial, imperial cult. Okay? So you've got this tension within a synagogue of people who are what we would call born-again Christians who have the Holy Spirit and they want to be in the synagogue, but they are not Jews. And the Jews look at them, some of them, you know, those who do not believe in Yeshua look at them as troublemakers and be very happy to move them right on to the synagogue where we don't have to mess with this, if you, if you please. Okay? So that's the, the mix into which Paul is writing the letter of Romans. Talked about the greeting, and then the second two-thirds of Romans 1 is this long screed on the sinfulness of humanity. Okay? And what I'm suggesting to you is going on there is Paul is writing this letter and he is expecting as people are reading on it, yeah, yeah, you get them, preacher. Yeah, go after them, yeah. And then starting in verse, chapter 2, he's going to say, and you. So you know, it's sort of an old preacher's trick. You know, get them nodded, getting them nodded, and then point your finger at them. Uh, and so that's what's going on in Romans 1 and 2. Okay? Because the voice or the, the person shifts. In Romans 1, the person is third person plural. In Romans 2, it shifts to second person singular. Okay? So it is they, they, they. And, you know, when you're sitting in church and you're nodding your head as the preacher's talking about them. Yeah, right. You know, you lay it on them, preacher. Go after them. Right? And then he turns around and says, you. And that's what happens in chapter 2. Okay? So we're sort of up to speed here. Onward, chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Now, the, the, the context is going to be here on judgment. And, the, and my suggestion to you of the reason why that is the subject here is because of this tension that you have in the synagogue. And you've got the traditional Jews who are looking at these Gentiles that don't know how to behave, but they say they're full of the Holy Spirit, and they are looking at these people and say, yeah, you're lawless. You are not following the law of Moses. And you've got the Gentiles who have the Holy Spirit looking at these Jews and saying, oh, man, you've got to come out from under this legalism stuff. Okay? So what you have is judgment, if you will, on the style of worship and the lifestyle of one group to the other. So what he's talking about here 
is in the context of a problem within the synagogue. Okay? As I said last time, it is not my opinion that Romans is a treatise, as in a doctoral dissertation, if you will. People treat the book of Romans as if it were some sort of a theological dissertation. I don't believe it is. I believe it is a letter to a synagogue that's got tension, and he's addressing those tensions in a sort of a pastoral way. Okay? Onward. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things, such things having been enumerated in the second two-thirds of chapter 1. That, that is what such things are, if you will. Do you suppose, O man, you, who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So again, he's not talking specifically about judgment here so much as hypocrisy. Okay? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and justice, and patience, I'm sorry, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Okay, so what's going on? And we talked about this briefly last time, but we ran out of time. I don't know about you, but I got a really good justifier. And whenever I really want to do something, I can justify it. And I can come up with all sorts of logical reasons why what I'm doing is an exception, or a special case, or it's really all right, or whatever you want. What's harder for me to do is apply my justifier to you. Because I can look at your behavior and say, oh, that's not right. Oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Okay? And what Paul is talking about here is people who look upon one another, and, and you know, Yeshua talks about it also, you know, talking about the moat in, in one's eye and the plank. You know, it's, just, it's, it's all the same lesson. And what we are really good at, or at least I am, is justifying my behavior and seeing all the problems with yours. Okay? And... Have you ever heard the expression, well, God knows my heart? And what that is saying implicitly is God's mercy is going to cover my sins. And that is presuming on the mercy and forbearance of God. That's what Paul is saying here, that you are presuming on God's forbearance and mercy. In other words, you're applying your justifier to your scummy behavior expecting that God is going to look upon you from his perfect love and say, oh, there, 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 that's okay. Okay? And what he's also saying is you are presuming that God will not do the same for others. Because in landing on others and excusing yourself, what you're doing is you're putting yourself, in a sense, in the place of God. And you're assuming God is going to be gentle with you, but he really needs to be hard on all those sinners out there. Okay, and again, that's what Paul is saying here. Verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So what he's saying is you guys are fooling yourself. You are depending on the forbearance of God because you don't understand it. What you think, sort of in your head, is God's forbearance is like your parents' forbearance, where you could get them to lower their standards. You know, if you nag long enough, your parents will lower their standards and let you get away with not cleaning your room, or, or whatever. 
And, and what you're assuming is that because God is forbearing also, that God will also lower his standards. And in doing that, you then become hardened in your sin. Everybody have a pet sin? I do. Okay. And you look at that one and, and you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, you sort of keep a goat tethered out there and you get, you get to bleed him once a week, you know, to smear a little blood on the altar, but you keep, you keep the goat alive because you're going to eat him again, right? And you keep this pet sin around. And what Paul is saying here is if you do that, you're going to become hardened in your sins. And you are then storing up wrath for yourself. And you're going along saying, well, God knows my heart. And what you're really doing is becoming hardened in your sin and, and storing up wrath, is what Paul is saying here. Okay? Verse 6. He will render each one according to his works. Notice the word there. What does the word say? Works. Okay? He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. All right, we're going to get into a riff on the Torah here in just a minute. But what Paul is saying is, God is not like your mother who will let you get it by with not cleaning your room. God's standards are absolute. Okay? And they are immutable. They don't change. And if you go through your life violating God's standards, there will be tribulation at the end of the day. And it doesn't matter whether you are a Jew or a Greek. The same standards apply to everybody. Now he's going to say that a couple more ways as we go through chapter 2. But the, the thing that you should take away from this is that there is one standard. And it's based on works. And it's based on the Torah. Everybody clear on what I just said? Okay. And we'll get to salvation and justification in just a minute. But understand that the rewards or the punishments are based on works. That's what Paul is saying here. The word he uses is works. Okay, this is not my interpretation. This is what Paul says. Everybody with me? All right, yeah. What rewards and punishments? I'm sorry? What rewards and punishments? Like hereafter? Yes. Yes. Let me read it again. Uh, Verse 8. But those who are self-seeking and, who do not, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God knows no partiality. And back up to uh, verse 7. To those who by patience in well-doing seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. And then he contrasts it with the evildoer. Eternal life is not again mentioned, but if you, again, take parallel grammar, if you will, he is talking about eternal life or not. 